Hello, and thank you for joining me. I am Professor Alistair Duff, and this is the Research Rules podcast series. I've already covered A, I did anonymity, B, where I covered bibliography. Now it's C, and I want to talk about copyright. Copyright is something you have to observe if you're doing research. What is copyright? I like to define it as property in information. It's sometimes called intellectual property. And just as people can have rights to physical property, like a car, they can have rights to intellectual property, the product of their mind. The first principle of copyright, excuse me, is that you cannot have copyright in an idea, only in the form in which you express an idea. For example, you can't have copyright in the idea of a superhero, but you can, and someone does, have copyright in Superman. Copyright grants authors exclusive legal and moral rights. We'll come on to the law. What do I mean by moral rights? I mean the right to have your work not mangled by others. There's a kind of paternity right for the products of our minds. So just as people don't want their classical Bentley to be turned into something monstrous, even after they've sold it, so we don't want our intellectual products to be disfigured in some way, and some ways. So there are moral rights, what the French call le droit d'auteur, attaching to intellectual property. Another fundamental principle of copyright is that it's automatic. With patents, you have to register them. If you think you've invented something good, you need to go to the registry and to register it in some way with some authority and pay usually a fee. But with copyright, you've got automatic copyright in whatever you write down. Copyright is also worldwide. I don't think there's a proper exception over the whole world. So basically we're talking about an international legal institution. There are slight variations, but they are minor. So this principle that people should have a right to the product of their labours, the labours of their minds, is established. In the United Kingdom, we are governed still by the Copyright Designs and Patents Act of 1988. This, though, has been updated quite a lot since then, but that is the reigning statute. You are given, when you produce an, an intellectual project, product, excuse me, <laughs> you are given exclusive rights. However, the consumer has certain rights as well, under what's known as fair dealing in the United Kingdom, or in the United States, it's called fair use. So these are exceptions to that exclusive right the copyright holder holds. So when you're working with copyright material, you need to acknowledge the author of the material you're using, whether that's a quotation or whatever, and you have to limit the amount you copy, the amount you copy and paste. 
onto your own page. Lawyers will not tell you what this limit is because it's not defined in law, but it's something like 5 to 10% of a book or an article. That's all you're allowed to copy into your book or article or dissertation. But that's quite a lot, isn't it? And usually enough for your purposes as a researcher. The exception is tables, figures, diagrams and tables and these you cannot copy a bit of. You have to get permission to use any part of a table from the copyright owner, just as you do with photographs. You can't copy 10% of a photograph and think you're okay. No, you have to go to the owner, which could be the photographer or it could be some company that the photographer works for or whatever. You need to find out and you need to get written permission and you might well be charged a fee. It's also difficult quoting poems, so you have to be very careful if you quote more than one or two lines. I've had a bad experience with tables. I, in my first book, I had lots of tables. They were taken from a published book or from several published books, even though some of the original material data was from non-copyright sources. In fact, United States government statistics. But I went to the book that I had taken the table from, but the book's author, sorry, not author, he was dead. I went to the, the uh, publisher, an American publishing house, and I said, could I use this table? And they said, oh, sure, you can use it. It'll cost you $400. Now, $400 was more than I was expecting to make from the book over its entire lifetime. And I had dozens of tables. So I managed to get them to bring that down, but it put me off using tables and photographs and so on in my work ever again, because it, it will just wipe out your, your royalties. So if you can, just work with books and articles and be very careful with these uh, particular forms of intellectual property I've just mentioned. Now, some of you might be working with primary sources. In fact, if you're doing a PhD, you're likely to be working with primary sources, such as unpublished letters and manuscripts. The position is exactly the same for unpublished as for published material. You can quote without problem a limited amount, but if you want to reproduce a whole letter, you need to get permission from the copyright owner or owners. You must assume stuff of this century and the last century is still in copyright unless specified otherwise. And I'm afraid to say everything that is on the internet you must assume is copyright as well because it's in a permanent form and it's a product of someone's mind so it is copyright unless specified otherwise. There are schemes such as Creative Commons whereby authors forego the normal copyright um, privileges. And if it's got a Creative Commons logo on it, then you're safe to use it. But you should still acknowledge the author and play fair with the author or authors of the material you're reproducing. We must assume then that everything online and offline is in copyright. 
unless ascertained otherwise. In fact, the rule is this. Copyright inheres in the author or their estate for the life of the author plus 70 years. Now, that's an awful long time. And this copyright term, as it's been called, has been extended again and again. Originally, in the 18th century in Britain, it was 14 years from when a work was published. And then it went out of, copy out of copyright excuse me, into the public domain. Well, it was increased gradually. And then at the start of the 20th century in Britain, it was increased to life of author plus 50 years. And then sometime about 90 years later, 100 years later, the European Union imposed across Europe an extension of 20 years. So it's life of author plus 70 years. The United States had no copyright for, I think, the whole of the 19th century, but is now a tiger about enforcing copyright. And that's, of course, because it's become a superpower and it has cultural riches that it wants to, you know, derive rent from now, which it didn't have so much um, in the past. It's a young country, of course. Some people, including me, think the copyright term is simply too long. We think it's becoming unjust. It's helping people to get rich in their sleep and corporations to grow bloated in their sleep. And that wasn't the original purpose of copyright, which was to incentivize the poor author, the poor scholar, to, you know, make sure they weren't ripped off um, having put so much work into their book or pamphlet or whatever it was in those days. A good example of this, sometimes given, is J.D. Salinger. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote a classic, well, it's regarded as a classic, called The Catcher in the Rye. And he wrote this as a young man. It was published in 1951, and Salinger didn't die till 2010, which means the copyright for that book doesn't pass until 2080, 70 years from 2010. So that book will have been in copyright for about 130 years. That is a long, long time. I think far too long. And if I had my way, copyright terms would be reduced, perhaps to life of author plus 25 years. I think that would be perfectly reasonable. I'm not a radical on this. I do not regard intellectual property as theft. Uh, I accept the Lockean argument that if you've mixed your labour with something, you've a right to derive some benefit from your labour. He was talking about land, but includes the pastures of the mind. And I, was, I also accept the Hegelian argument, which is that property can be an expression of our personality within limits. But I think those limits have been infringed by copyright regimes in the modern age. In any case... Whether you believe in copyright or not, as an institution, you must observe its rules strictly in your dissertation, in your thesis, in your essay, in your article, in your book. And I'll tell you this from experience. Once you start submitting manuscripts to journals or to book publishing houses, they will expect you to make sure your material is copyright cleared. There will be, a, will be a clause in your contract saying everything in this book, article or book is, has been cleared for copyright. 
just as there will be a clause saying you've cleared it for defamation of you know libel the onus is put entirely on you the publisher does no work whatsoever so it is your duty your responsibility to make sure your material does not infringe copyright now i've talked mainly about british copyright but it's the same pretty much as i mentioned at the start all over the world life of author plus 70 years because there's been an international stitch up about this so wherever you're listening you need to be aware of copyright law and make sure you steer the right side of it because it will simply give you a headache if you don't so if you exercise reasonable care and caution you will not have any problems but remember, there are copyright rules and you, as a budding researcher or a more experienced one, perhaps, need to keep the right side of the law. Well, I hope you found that useful. I am Professor Alistair Duff and this is the Research Rules Podcast. Speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.